you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn with me to the letter to the Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read um, the first 17 verses, but we'll only talk about the first four today. This is kind of the um, conclusion to our series on victorious living, and it ends in three uh, sermons. So let us look to God's word, and then we will pray, and Lord willing, have something to say. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with its practices and have put on the new man, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in, wis- in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, through him. Let us pray. Our dear Father, in the name of Jesus, we, we come to you and we thank you for being present in our lives. We pray by your grace that your spirit would work in us an integrity and a genuineness of faith in Christ and holiness and love. Father, as we listen to Scripture, 
And as your word cannot possibly go out empty, but always returns to you, accomplishing the purpose for which you've sent it and succeeding in the thing for which you have given it, we pray for our lives to be transformed and made into the likeness of Jesus Christ more than they have been previously. Father in heaven, we pray for your grace to be given to us that through our very transitory lives, you would bring glory to yourself and bring worship to yourself. Please help me and work in spite of my weaknesses and wickedness and unworthiness, and we pray that you would exalt your name and your fame, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this morning, I want to begin just a conclusion to our series on victorious living, uh, talking about resurrected living on earth. And the book of Colossians, you I'm sure are familiar, was a book that was written by the Apostle Paul when he was in prison. And probably more than any of Paul's uh, writings, it, it aims to exalt the preeminency of Jesus Christ and how he is uh, all by himself sufficient for everything we need. In him, the Bible says, all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. The whole Godhead dwells in him bodily. And so um, coming to Jesus, believing in Jesus, and trusting in him and following him and imitating him is not by any means second best. It is the best you could do. And um, Paul aims to call uh, the congregation here um, as well as the congregation there, uh, to a life of heavenly-mindedness. And the first point is, since we've been raised with Christ, let us pursue a heavenly mind. Um, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. You remember that um, commercial? And, uh, and then the more graphic one with the egg being thrown into the pan, this is your mind on drugs, and... Um, but uh, God calls us to have a mind that is caught up with what is going on in the heavenlies and how uh, what's going on in, in heaven's mind, so to speak, in God's own mind, um, is taking place in our minds. The, apostle, the prophet said at one point, our, our thoughts are not his thoughts, our ways are not his ways, and then he immediately calls uh, the people to repentance, so that our mind and our ways would be increasingly more like the ways of God, and our thoughts would increasingly be more like the thoughts of God. The apostle, in one particular chapter of the book of Corinthians, said that we have the mind of Christ. His mind has been given unto us. And so, this passage begins, if then you have been raised with Christ... And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you look over at chapter uh, 2, it says in verse 11 there, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. It says that when Christ Jesus was cut off, when he was cut off in the crucifixion, uh, we also put off 
um, the body of the flesh, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And it says, you who were dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh, God has made us alive together with him, with Christ Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And so at, at some point in our uh, life of faith, before we came to faith, we were dead in transgressions and sins, as it says in Ephesians. We were dominated by the devil. We were living under his domain. We were disobedient uh, to the Lord. We were doomed to destruction, but God came in and made us alive in Christ Jesus. He raised us up in Christ Jesus. He seated us with Jesus in the heavenly places. Even now, you are seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. Because Jesus is with you right now. He's with us. Didn't he say, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. So yes, he is seated on a throne in glory, but being God and omnipresent, he's with us right now in this building, seated with us leading us to worship Him, leading us uh, to praise His Father in heaven. He is the chief musician and the head of the choir, and He leads us in worship of, of God. And so uh, it says that if we have been raised with Christ, uh, we should be seeking the things that are above where Christ is, and He's seated at the right hand of God. He's seated at the right hand of God. What are those things above? where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus himself gave us a window into what those things were while he was on earth. Before his crucifixion, he, he in the presence of his disciples, prayed to his Father. And he let them in on the prayer. He didn't say, I'm going to go over there and pray for you. But he said, let's pray. Let me call on the name of the Father right now. And in their hearing... He petitioned on their behalf. And in John chapter 17, if you turn over there just a moment, in John chapter 17 and uh, in verse 11, in verse uh, um, 11, he says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. And so one of the things that we seek at the right hand of the Father is we seek loyalty. Loyalty to the name. The name of Jesus. The name of the Father. The name of the triune God. Jesus said, keep them in your name. Keep them devoted to your name. And what that name points to, it points to the personality, the person of God Himself. Keep them faithful to you, Father. That's what Jesus is praying for, for loyalty. He's also praying, as you look at verse 13 of chapter 17, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the Word that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. We not only seek loyalty, we, we seek felicity. We, speak, we seek joy. The joy that comes from hearing Jesus' words. You remember how John the Baptist, it went down with him that, that when, when he was still in his mother's womb and Elizabeth was there and Mary showed up, 
and, 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 and Mary greeted Elizabeth uh, by the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth said, the baby leaped for joy in my womb when he heard your greeting. John the Baptist inside of his mother leaping for joy. And then in John 3.29, how, how John said that, that the bridegroom is here and, and, and my joy is now complete because I hear the bridegroom's voice. And so Jesus, what, what, what does it mean to seek those things above? It means to seek the Word of Jesus as we hear it in Scripture. To seek that our hearts might be filled with joy because we hear the bridegroom's voice. He's our husband. He's our bridegroom. He's coming for us. He's coming to rescue us from the present evil age. He's coming to, to take us home to be with Him one day. It's a wonderful thing sometimes when you see uh, people who have been over um, on the battleground, whether they're in uh, the Army, the Navy, or the Marines, or whatever it might be, and, and they've been away for so long, and, and their family's waiting, and then they come back on the tarmac. And oh, the joy, oh, the embrace when a family is reunited. And how much more You've been on this journey, I don't know how long, maybe one day, maybe 10 years, maybe 20, maybe 30, maybe more, but you've been looking for the Master. And one day, not on a tarmac, but on streets of gold, you're going to see Him and fall before Him. We're going to meet Him. So that felicity of hearing the bridegroom's voice as we meditate on Scripture. And look at verse 15 of chapter 17. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Not only loyalty, not only felicity, but security. That he keep us from the evil one, who's always like a lion, a hungry lion, roaring, prowling about, looking for someone to devour. Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. God has given you power. He's given you security. Jesus is praying for security. You have security. The Bible says in 1 John that the evil one cannot touch them because Jesus prayed. Remember how Jesus prayed for Peter who fell away for a time. He says, Satan has asked to sift you all like wheat. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you and your faith is not going to fail. And when you have converted, strengthen your brother. That's the only thing that keeps us going is that Jesus is praying for us. He's interceding for us. And because of His prayers are always aligned with the will of God and always heard and always answered by God, you're going to make it home one day. Loyalty, felicity, security. Look at verse 17 in John 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is praying for purity. That's what it means to seek the things above where Jesus sits at the right hand of God. It means to seek purity. To seek holiness. That's what we need, holiness. A lot of times that's why people don't accept the claims of Jesus. Because they look at the people of Jesus. Sometimes our life, unfortunately, is riddled with all kinds of unholy manner. And this particular chapter in, in Colossians 3 aims to, to get us on board about proactively, vigorously, vigilantly 
seeking a holy life. And seeking a holy life, not in a vacuum, not because it's the right thing to do, not pharisaically in a legalistic way, but seeking it because you have been raised up with Jesus Christ. You have been resurrected. Remember how Jesus said it in John chapter 5 when he was still on earth. He said in verse 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. And is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. You and I were dead. But through the preaching of the Gospel, through someone sharing the Gospel with us, we heard the voice of the Son of God and we came to life. That's the first resurrection, folks. When you heard the voice of Jesus in the hearing of the Gospel, you were raised back to life. You were resurrected spiritually. So we are called to seek purity, to run after the One who ran after us. That's what Paul said in the book of Philippians, that one thing he does, he runs after the One who who ran after Him. The way he put it in in chapter uh, 3 of Philippians. He says, not that I have already obtained this, or already have been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. And so Jesus came and grabbed a hold of Paul and said, you're mine. And so Paul spends the rest of his life running after Jesus saying, and you're mine. Just like the vows that are said at a wedding. Jesus said, I do. We say, I do. All life long, we say, I do. Because you said, I do to me. You married yourself off. Remember how when God brought his people out of bondage, out of Egypt, he said that he took them by the hand. He was a husband to them. Jesus is our bridegroom and we are his bride and he has rescued us He has taken us into His bosom, and so we say, I take you back into mine. I love you back because you love me first. And that's part of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. It means that we never got over that moment. We're still baffled by the fact that He would want us, that He would desire us, that He would design to make us like Him. And we can't get enough of His love. Lou Rawls used to sing that song. You're going to miss my love, didn't he? (laughs) I don't know about Lou Rawls, but I know Jesus' love tops it all. Amen. Nobody can love you like Jesus. (laughs) In verse 18 of John 17, He says, uh, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And so it's loyalty, felicity, security, purity, duty, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. But we seek duty, our duty. Christ Jesus has sent us into this world. He sent us into this world for a particular purpose, and we'll talk about it in a moment. But in verse 21 of John 17, it says, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. They were called to seek unity, 
What does it mean to seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God? It means to seek unity. That's what Jesus prays for. That we would be one. He's already prayed that we're one. We are one. But just like it says by the Apostle in Ephesians chapter 4 that we are to seek to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That we should be pursuing one another to be united. It's one of the things that we should pray for as a church on a regular basis is that the church would be maintaining the unity of the Spirit. There's so many different denominations and perhaps that's the way it, it is in this world and its brokenness, but we should be always praying for unity in the body of Christ, unity among those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. Unity. Why can't we have it? We had it back then when it first started, didn't we? Didn't we have it when, on the day of Pentecost? Didn't they have unity then? This same world, same Holy Spirit, We've got to pray. Remember, they were all in one accord, crying out to God when the Spirit came upon them. And they had unity. They had oneness. We can get it back. We can get it back. In John 17, 23, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prayed for this. We're going to have it. He gets what he prays for all the time. It takes time, some time, but he gets what he prays for all the time. (laughs) He said it himself. His Father always hears him. So we should pray not only for unity, but for harmony. Harmony in the body of Christ. One of the things we do when we seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. You know, if we don't have that unity, that harmony within the body of Christ, it shipwrecks all of our evangelism. People don't get the message. Jesus said it's contingent, did he not? Father, make them one so that the world might believe. Make them one so that the world might know that somehow our unity and people accepting Jesus are tied in together. And we should be pursuing that, praying for that on a daily basis, seeking those things above. And not only that, but seeking proximity. Look at verse 24 of of John 17. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. We should seek to be with Jesus. We heard about that last week. We should seek to be with Christ. The psalmist could say in Psalm 27, one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Did you know that when he prayed that he was talking about the temple on earth? On earth. He was pursuing not only being in the presence of God one day forever, but being among the people of God in the presence of God here on earth. We should seek church. Tell that to the folk who are not here today. Just a little love tap, that's all. Not trying to guilt trip you, trying to grace trip you, you know? Come on, somebody. And in verse 25, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. And so it's, it's about intimacy. Not only proximity, but intimacy. And, and maturity. That the love with which you have loved me, Jesus says, might be in them. Sometimes, you know, it's hard to love people. 
I don't know if you've noticed that. Um, you pick it up every once in a while, you get, oh, that's, you know. But it's hard to love people. And some people say, well, I just can't do that. I can't. I'm not Jesus. Don't we say that? I'm not Jesus. We all know that. <laughs> we don't need that memo. We are very much aware of the fact that you're not Jesus. Um, but, but the fact is, Jesus said, and he prayed here, I pray that the love that you have for me, Jesus said to the Father, might be in them, and that I might be in them. So Jesus is inside of you, and his love, the love of God, is inside of you. So we all know we're not Jesus. We all know we can't do what Christ can do, but Christ can do through you what you cannot do in yourself. I can do all things, the Apostle Paul says, through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. So we're to pursue the, the priorities of Jesus, and, and not only that, but we're to pursue the power of Jesus. One of the things that comes through, as, as we've already alluded to, is productivity. Productivity. Jesus wants us to be productive and fruitful in the body of Christ. He wants us to be used by Him to draw others to Himself. Uh, the hymn writer saying, if I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto Myself. You know? Uh, he does that through His church. We should be pursuing the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's productivity. It's also authority. We should be pursuing the authority of Jesus Christ to work through us. Isn't that true? He said all authority. He didn't just go out and say, go make disciples of all nations. He said all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Now go, make disciples. As you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching them. I am with you always. We should be seeking his authority to work through us. Uh, this is not a health, wealth, prosperity thing, man. This is the gospel. We should seek the power of Christ at work in us. The Bible says, Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than anything you can ask or imagine according to the power at work within you. His authority is at work within you. Look at what it says in Psalm chapter 110. Psalm 110, uh, verses 1 and 2, I believe. Psalm 110, uh, verse 1, it says, The Lord uh, says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's what God told Jesus when he raised him from the dead. He said, now take a seat. You've finished the job. Sit, take a seat and, 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 and sit down in my right hand until I make your enemies, excuse me, right hand's over here, your footstool. Um, <laughs> the Lord, listen what it says, listen. The Lord sends forth from Zion. The Lord sends forth from Zion. You're Zion, the dwelling place of God. This is the hill of Zion where God's people dwell and Jesus dwells with them. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. This is God's headquarters on earth. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. The day of his power is the day of his resurrection. Jesus Christ sends forth his scepter. The picture in, in, in Revelation 19 of Jesus on a horse, triumphing over the nations with a sword coming out of his mouth. A lot of times we say, well, this is the second coming. It's not the second coming. Jesus said, the angel said that Jesus will come back the same way he, he left. He didn't leave on a horse. He left on a cloud. Jesus on a horse with a sword out of his mouth is Jesus conquering the nations with the gospel as the church is with him. 
in that mission. So seeking Jesus' authority, Jesus said in the book of Daniel, um, Daniel said about Jesus in the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel said in, in Daniel 7, verse 13, I saw in night visions, and behold, with the cloud of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days. This is a portrait of Jesus Christ. He's coming on a cloud. He's coming in what direction? To the Ancient of Days. He's going back from earth to heaven. And was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go make disciples of all nations. Should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. He rules in the midst of his enemies. He's reigning right now. He reigns through the gospel. Um, he gives repentance, it says in Acts 5, 31. He gives repentance to Israel. In Acts 11:18, he gives repentance to Gentiles. He gives the gift. We should seek that gift of repentance that comes from Jesus for people. God, give them the grace to repent. They can't do it on their own. Jesus has to offer that as a gift, as a grace. You can't just turn your life around. Jesus has to give you the gift of repentance. We should be pursuing that, seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ, give this person repentance that they might turn around, that their mind might change. We pursue not only Jesus' priorities, not only His power, but we pursue Jesus' pleas, His advocacy. Uh, In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 34, it says of uh, the risen Christ, Romans 8, 34, We pursue Jesus' peace. Um, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He's at the right hand of God. Seek those things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He's, He's interceding for us, for us to know the depth of His love. Same thing that Paul prayed for that according to the riches of His glory, He might strengthen you with power by His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, that you'd be rooted and grounded in love, that you'd have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. We should be praying that God would fill us with the love of Christ, the breadth, the width, the height, the depth, to know the love of Christ. That's the engine, to know the love. The Bible says that the Spirit of God comes to pour out the love of God within our hearts. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to glorify Christ to us. That's the one thing. We seek those things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Seek the love of Christ, to know the love of Christ. The Bible says that Jesus ever lives to intercede for us. He is going to save you to the uttermost. I heard a minister one time say, you heard it, from the guttermost to the uttermost. Come on, somebody. Don't make a difference where you've been, what you've done, who you've been with. Cry out to Jesus from the guttermost to the uttermost. That'll preach all by itself. <laughs> you know, it says uh, um, in 1 John chapter 2, it says that I write these things to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone sins, we have a what? We have an advocate 
with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. We should be seeking to confess our sin. Because we've got an advocate. There's no reason to hide it. God knows all about it. He can see right in us everything about us. He knows what you're going to do before you do it, what you're going to say before you say it, what you're going to think before you think it. He already knows. This is not a memo or information. You know, it's not information for your information, God. I already know. God says, I already know. But just bring it to him. Confess it to him. He will forgive it. He will cleanse it. He will wash you in the blood of his son Jesus and make you brand new. Brand spanking new. Yes, he will. Seek those things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Set your mind on things above. This is about humility. Not only seeking productivity and authority, but pursuing humility. You remember when Jesus was on earth with his disciples in Matthew 16, verse 23. He said this to Peter. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now what was that conversation about? You know it was about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, dealing with suffering and dealing with the abuses that we have to deal with in this life, trying to pursue the gospel and the kingdom. We heard about it last week. Seeking humility. Jesus said uh, through Paul in Philippians chapter 2, have this humble mind. Did he not? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. What does it mean to set your mind on things above? It means to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only at his own interest, but also the interest of others. What does it mean to set your mind above? It means to stop being self-centered. Stop thinking about yourself so much. Stop thinking about myself so much for me. But to think about others. Declaring that they're more significant because that's the mind of Jesus Christ. Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. That's the mind that Jesus donned to save us. He counted them, us, more significant than himself. That's some serious thinking. <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, if you looked in the mirror lately, for Jesus to count you more significant than himself, that's some deep thinking, man. You know what I mean? I mean, he, he had to scratch the back of his head on that one, you know. Let me think about that for a moment, you know. But it sometimes it takes that, right? To think about other people more significant than yourself. People who've hurt you. People who've said stuff about you. Did stuff that you, they shouldn't have did that stuff. Made you mad. Kept you up at night. Got you on the phone complaining, doing what you shouldn't have been doing, gossiping anyway. You know what I'm saying? But, but just stop and say, wait a minute. How did I even get the name of Jesus on me to begin with? Jesus thought about me being more significant when he was on the cross, hanging there naked. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about us. For the glory set before him. He endured that thing. He endured the cross because he saw you in glory, glorifying him glorified like him. That's what he was thinking about. That's what we had to think about in our conversations with other people. Say, wait a minute, this is a believer in Jesus Christ. They're going to glory with me. 
with Jesus. They're going to be beautified in the image of the one that we both love. That's the aim that God has for them. And so I've got to think God's thoughts after him. How does Jesus think about this person? God, help me to think this the same way about them too. Even though they did me wrong, they did you wrong, and I did you wrong too, Lord. But you still think good thoughts about me. I know the plans I have for you, the thoughts I have for you. Not for evil, but for good, to give you hope, to give you joy, give you a future. Jesus has sealed your future. So you've got reason to think his thoughts after him. Um, think about set your mind on things above, not on things on earth, for you have died. And here's the reason why you think those thoughts. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You died. You're dead. I know you're breathing. You've got your eyes open. But you're dead to the old way of living. Isn't that what Paul said? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Self-reliant one no longer lives. Self-righteous one no longer lives. One in love with his self. No longer live. You're dead. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith. It's a fixation on the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. They have to have, it's a discipline, isn't it? Every morning to get up and fixate your thoughts on the one who, there's, Jesus loves me. This I know. Jesus died for me. And let that wash over you. Holy Spirit, make it fresh every single day that Jesus loves me. He died for me. He gave himself up for the likes of me. When you're feeling guilty and broken, like you can't go on, Jesus loves me. He gave himself up for me. He knew that this was going to happen when he died on the cross. And so we have to keep that gospel central in our thinking so that we can pursue um, the passion of Christ, the pulse of Christ. Paul said it like this. He said in Galatians, at the end of Galatians, uh, last chapter, verse 15, he says, uh, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I'm dead to the world. The world is dead to me because I have been crucified with Jesus Christ. I brag and boast about one thing, Paul says, that Jesus died on the cross for me. It changes everything. Um, Christopher Hitchens, you may, may or may not know that name, but he was a roaring atheist, vehement against Christianity and all religion. He said that he just could not stomach vicarious substitutionary sacrifice him. He couldn't stomach that. He couldn't stomach the gospel. It's the very thing that you and I need to be filled with, overwhelmed with, the gospel, the passion of Christ Jesus. Lastly, verse 4, um, we not only pursue Jesus' priorities, as we saw in, the, in John 17, his power, as we saw, um, not only Jesus' um, uh, peace, his advocacy, not only his personality, his humility, but we pursue his promises of victory. It says in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, because he's going to appear, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
That right there will keep you and keep your mind where it ought to be. That there's a day coming when Christ is going to split the sky and he's coming back. And when he does, you'll be there with him in glory. That's an amazing thing to get your mind wrapped around that reality that the king of the universe, the king of glory is going to finally show up one day and you're going to be right there with him in glory. Job had a rough life, lost his children, lost his wife in many ways, lost his health, lost his friends, but he didn't lose his hope. And in chapter 19 of that account, Job says, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know my Redeemer lives. And he's going to stand on this earth one day. And though the worms may eat my flesh and destroy this body, yet from my flesh, notice the Hebrew word, from my flesh, the flesh that was eaten, now transformed. From my flesh, I shall see God. Um, you've got to have that hope of victory. Paul said it like this that in, in the book of Philippians, in the book of Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 19, he says, um, verse 18, he says, For many of whom I have often told you and tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Minds set on earthly things. You notice very clearly that a mind set on God is a mind set on loving Him. You notice that? A mind set on God is a mind set on loving Him. Loving Him because He first loved us. The apostles said, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. The things of the spirit are the things of Jesus. They set their minds on how much Jesus has loved us. And they set their minds on loving Jesus in return. But these people, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame. They set their mind on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And the Bible says our citizenship is in heaven. We wait a Savior. We're waiting for a Savior. We're not, we're not looking, you know, you know, whenever you see these tide or all, I don't know what detergent you might use, but they come up with something new and improved, which means they didn't do it right the first time. And they still sell the old kind, but they got a new improved kind because they don't want to, they want to save face. They don't want to get rid of it all together. We had something back then, didn't we? But now we got something new and better. But you can still buy the other one too. You know, we, we, we're all messed up like that. People are like that. We got stuff new and improved, but our citizenship in heaven, we await a savior. We're not waiting for somebody else. We're not waiting for somebody else to show up. We know who is true. We know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 
The Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We once were in darkness, but now we're in the light. We once were lost, but now we're found. We once were blind, but now we see. We once were dead, but now we're alive. We're not waiting for somebody else. We await a Savior. His name is Jesus. And the Bible says that he will, he, will, he will transform our lowly body, our vile body, our broken body. I don't know how your body feels today. Maybe you just went to the gym and you're feeling good. Stick around, you're going to get broken one day. Or drop that bell bear on your foot, and you're going to realize you're mortal. That thing hurts, man. Spoken from true experience. But your body is broken. You might be sick today. You might be struggling today with your health. Your body's broken. Some of us sometimes struggle with back problems. Your body is broken. We have a lowly body. We have a broken body. This world is broken. But Jesus is going to transform this lowly body into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to bring every single thing under his control. Lastly, the Bible says that one day, um, well, two things, not lastly. You know, when a preacher says lastly, don't believe it. I'll be done, though. I will be. I promise you. Because um, I got something where to go just like you do. Um, 1 John 3, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, what's going to happen? We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We're going to be like Jesus. And that's some power to make the likes of you and I like him. Jesus said, finally, to the church in Revelation, church of Laodicea, church that was lukewarm, church that couldn't get the act together, church that was on the fence, should I serve Jesus or should I be in the world? You know, when you fixate your mind on the cross of Jesus Christ, when you sit by the cross of Christ and meditate a while about your sin and about your Savior and about His blood and about how He washed you, you can't sit on a fence. Can you? If you cannot be lukewarm when you consider how Jesus wearied himself, exhausted himself, gave up his life for our sin to have us as his own. He says to the church of Laodicea, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. You're seated in the heavenly spiritually right now, but one day you will be seated literally with Jesus Christ on his throne. He says this to a church wrapped up in lukewarmness, which may or may not be true of our church. It may, not, may not be true of you, but it may or may be true of some of us. But the Bible calls us to persevere and to fall in love with Christ afresh, that there would be victory in the end for us. We already have that victory, but that we would celebrate it one day with Christ. When Christ who is our life appears, we will appear with him in glory. Set your mind on things above. Seek the things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You have been raised up from death to life by Jesus Christ, by the power of his spirit, by the power of his word. Let's, let's pray to him. Our Father, in Christ's name, we give thanks to you for your grace and for your goodness. We thank you for Jesus who raised us up
and how you raised us up as you raised him up and seated us with him in heavenly places. Father, thank you for the gift of the Spirit who seals us into the day of redemption. Thank you for the Spirit who lives inside of us, bearing witness with our spirit that we are your children. We're yours and we're in your hours. Father, remind us afresh of the beauty, the breathtaking beauty of belonging to you. Open our eyes, dear God. Clear away the dullness that our eyes would see a little bit better than we've seen before. We see through a glass darkly now, Lord, but you can open our eyes just a little bit more and help us to behold the Lamb of you, our God, who has taken away our sin, the Lamb who was slain, the Lamb who is seated in heaven, the Lamb who intercedes, the Lamb who's waiting for us, the Lamb who's with us, the Lamb who will never leave us or forsake us. Father, thank you for your promises, so rich and full, so freely given through Jesus Christ. We pray this in Christ Jesus' holy name. Amen.